Welcome back to the Book and Life podcast. And we're continuing our theme of crime with the most gorgeous writer whose true beauty really shines in her words and keeps me up till 4 a.m. reading. And uh, yes, my hobby does complain. So we're going to be talking with her in a, in a quick minute. But before we do that, I want to remind you to check out The Time Guardian's The Shadow, book four by Marianne Curley. Now let's get into it with Fiona Cummings. Welcome. Hello. Thanks for having me, Crystal. It's a pleasure. I mean, I was so excited when your agent said yeah. So I was like, woohoo! <laughs> and I, I, I literally told um, my my husband, I'm like, I got the best person on the podcast. And he's like, who? And I'm like, Fiona Cummings. And he went, oh, the the bone shaker person? And I was like, yeah, her. <laughs> so, yeah. He, he heard about that book, like, nonstop. I never stopped oh. talking about it. So he felt like he had read it, too. And I did well, it with this you. one. I'm like, god damn it, I can't figure out who's lying. <laughs> Well, thank you. It's, it's always really nice to um, feel that your books are met with an enthusiastic audience. Yeah, and I I think that's the thing with yours is there's such an enthusiasm behind the pacing. You can almost feel the beauty and the thought and the consideration that you've put into it. I did have moments where I thought, is she going to connect this back to that guy and in the bone collector and I, I was like sitting waiting kind of with the way that Saul's dark and twisted I'm like oh oh is that going to be a hook and I was <laughs> I was hanging on to that the entire way um but I'm going to let you tell us a little bit about Into the Dark so that I don't you know give spoilers <laughs> um okay well Into the Dark um is my fifth novel and it came out I'm um, on the 14th of April and it tells the story of Julianne Hillier and Piper Holden, who have been best friends for you know almost 15 years. Um, and every week they run together. And one Tuesday morning, Juli- Julianne gets up and she jogs down to Sea Wings, uh, which is where Piper lives, a beautiful art deco home um, in the affluent town of Midtown-on-Sea. Um, and when she gets there, she discovers that the kettle is still warm. Uh, the mobile phones are still charging on the worktop. The cars are in the drive. But the entire Holden family, that's Piper, her husband, Gray, and their teenage children, um, Reva and Artie, have vanished off the face of the earth. Um, and the story basically unfolds. Um, unravels exactly what has happened to them in the preceding days. Um, Investigating their disappearance um, is an old friend. Um, Readers who have read my earlier books um, might recognise him. This acts as a standalone Into the Dark, by the way. It is the first in a series. Um, But um, the detective, um, Saul Anguish, DC Saul Anguish, was in fact... um, a teenage boy who was groomed by a serial killer in um, one of my earlier novels, The Collector. Um, See, and the I knew reason that. I, I do that. Yeah. <laughs> well, the reason I kind of made him a detective was I really loved this, the character of Saul. And the reason I love him is because he's so morally ambiguous. And that's the thing that always fascinates me, kind of that ambiguity in people. 
um, and yeah. a bookseller, a Waterstones bookseller, Fiona Sharp, um, who I was visiting one day in her shop, said to me, I'd love to see Saul um, as a detective. And so did that, I, actually. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I was on that train too. I was like, oh, Really? Well, that kindled continue. a fire in me and I could not let go of that idea. And so I came back to that. And that's, um, yeah, that's who de- that's the sort of the, the, the genesis of, of DC Saul Anguish, um, who I love writing because actually, you know, all of us really, we're all shades of grey, aren't we? And yeah. um, I find that fascinating about people that we don't, um, you know, we're neither wholly good or wholly bad, but somewhere in between. I just loved him because he, he never gave up. He always had that, I'm not going to lose this fight. Like, that's what I loved about him. And you see that kind of in the way that he fights his darkness through the book. And I thought, I that's s- so well done. So well done. that And so is a yeah, and Saul is a, he is a troubled young man. You know, he had a very difficult upbringing, um, and you know, even now he fights between the goodness in him and the darkness in him. Um, and I think that kind of perpetual struggle makes him a very interesting character. Or at least I hope so, and and very interesting to write as well because you know, actually, he, you know, he he sometimes does the wrong thing and yet what I hope is that I want the reader to root for him while he's doing it well I did I rooted for him the entire time (laughs) well that's good thank you I was like go so go (laughs) in fact at one point I I said it a little bit out loud like I was thinking it but I ended up (laughs) saying it and waking up Ian and Ian's like go to sleep <laughs> I'm like I can't I can't, I can't. so Brilliant. yeah no I, I loved it um and I've loved all your books so far and I was saying that you know if I get an author who I love dearly I just buy every one of her books that comes out or every one of his books that come out so my hobby's like Crystal if we get any more books we are going to be officially a public library <laughs> but and that, I'm like but that's that, that is thing but that is what every author wants to hear because yeah. actually what you want is for readers to know that they love your writing and style and actually that they don't even really need to check the synopsis. They just think, oh, you know, Fiona's got a new book coming out. I've loved her previous stuff. I'm just going to buy it on faith. And and, and that is yeah. what I'm always so conscious about with every book that I'm writing. I want to give it everything because, you know, readers own authors nothing and you know mm-hmm. you're paying your hard-earned cash and you know whether it's 99p for a, a, a kindle book that's on offer or whether it's you know 14.99 for a signed waterstones hardback the point is it's still your money and you yeah. know you know you deserve to have a book that you love for the money that you're spending i mean i know that that's the way that i thought when i was writing um i was publishing publishing a twin novel basically the same kind of I use the same pacing as you so it was almost like I loved to see that in somebody else because every editor I had until your book started coming out complained about my pacing and said oh you're going too fast you're going too fast you're going too fast but as I was explaining to them if I didn't continue that hard pace with them too the book would just become unreadable it wouldn't be true to what they're like these two never stop moving so in a way the book can't ever stop moving and I wrote five of them and 
I same experience she did. I was in a Waterstones. I'd done a book signing, and the the book woman came up to me. And she goes, "I am so glad you did not write that as a slow burn romance because it made it enjoyable. It made it exciting." I had a huge plot hole that because one of my friends who's super smart pointed out after it was published. <laughs> okay, yikes! <laughs> and I was like, "Dude, really? Like?" come on. And he's like, yeah, it's like the size of a truck. You could drive. And I was like, none of the readers picked it up. None of the reviewers picked it up. And I was like, thank goodness nobody noticed it except him. <laughs> but yeah, like part of me, like when I'm writing that series, I have to keep him in the back of my head because I'm like, if he spots more, he's just gonna, he's just gonna say it and I'm gonna be mortified. So yeah, I, that's why I love your pacing and, and really enjoy your novels because of that. So getting into the conversation about books, what is the book that you've read recently that stuck with you the most, if you've had time? Oh, well, I mean, I, you know, can I have two? Because I mean, yep. if we're talking sort of in, in fairly recent history, I absolutely fell in love with and um, We Begin at the End by Chris Whitaker. Um, okay. And I read an early version of that. It was maybe two or three years ago now. Um but it just was the most kind of phenomenal writing, the phenomenal characterization. I just kind of fell in love with that. Um, and I also loved um, The Familiar Dark by Amy Engel. I don't know if you've come across that. Um, and it's I've about heard a it in passing, who, I must admit. I have heard it in passing. Yeah, she, and it's about a mother who is trying, to, her daughter's been murdered and she's trying to basically unpick what happened. Both of those are, you know, such kind of compelling heartbreaking stories beautifully written um and the book that i'm currently reading at the moment is it's a, a an arc um and it's claire mackintosh's new oh. um police procedure it's the first in a series it's called the last party i think it's out in august i think or september Sounds and it good. features a feisty uh female detective um who is and it's set in, in wales um so yeah and i've just i've just started that so i'm enjoying that very much I love I love the settings in Wales because sometimes the like I mean I've seen pictures of it I've never been to Wales but I know the beauty of it and the way that the the people are is is just so adoring so that one I can imagine is going to be a really gripping really good one. Yeah, um, it's good so far. So, <laughs> so if you had time to just sit and enjoy something like enjoy an author or a series. What would you what would you pick and what would you read? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I think I think I would just, you know, rather than um, a specific author, I think what I would say is that I wish I just had time to read more. Yeah. Um, more of everything. Um, I don't know whether it was the same for you. For me, um, I found reading really difficult during lockdown. I couldn't concentrate. I struggled too, um, yeah. Um, and I, I went back to lots of kind of old favourites, actually, mm. sometimes things from my childhood, like I, I reread um, Anne of Green Gables and, <laughs> you know, I picked up um, some of the kind of old Stephen King books that I had read and yeah. loved, um, you know, as a much younger person. And I mean, so I think but I think just in general, my life is you know, it can feel really busy at times. I have yep. two children, um, you know, I write full time, I have events in the diary, promotions, and if I'm not promoting stuff, I'm writing. Um, and life is is 
busy and mm-hmm. I think that sometimes I wish I could just kind of stop and just read as I used to when I was younger. I look yeah. at my my 12-year-old who is a voracious reader and she's mm-hmm. always sort of curled up somewhere kind <laughs> of reading and I'm yep. quite envious of that. I'm like, why do I have to do the washing and like organise what we're <laughs> going to have for tea? I just want to lay in the garden and read my book. Oh, um, yeah, I know yeah, that I think feeling. That, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I personally, I, because of my dyslexia, I have to read every day. So I make a point, I don't care how late it is at night, I will sit and I read 20 pages of whatever. And of course, me being, you know, the way that I am, I decided to start my BA honors degree the year that we went into lockdown. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, yeah, this is not very smart, Crystal. (laughs) And now I'm in my second year um, and it's been... What are you studying? I'm actually doing an open degree so that I can do, I didn't want to just do creative writing or, or, you know, English literature. I wanted to mix it up and I wanted to be able to explore things and do different things, Uh, much to their dismay, to be honest, (laughs) but (laughs) I've only got, I think, yeah, two years left and I have to get a dyslexia test, which I've never done, but my school always like, said you're dyslexic and I knew I was dyslexic um but that'll be interesting because I've never done one of those before okay. I'll be sitting there on a knife's edge going but no it was it's it's I couldn't read in lockdown either and I ended up picking up Rachel Kane's Better Falls series and you know sadly she's passed away uh one of one of my first ever uh really kind of amazing writers she was adult she was young adult and then all of a sudden she did this crying series and it totally took me out of left field I was like wait you normally do vampires and love and romance wait why have we got a crime novel now I'm so confused <laughs> but it was good because I saw a totally different side to her writing and she was using her cancer diagnosis and the darkness of that to feed into her series and I was actually going to recommend that one to you because it is so amazing. And it is totally one that you can curl up in the bath with and you can read and it just goes by so fast. But you enjoy every minute that you're in there. And again, she uses a very similar pacing to you. But it's, it's so layered and complicated that it makes it a great read. So that's the one that's kind of stuck with me. And um, I ended up reading the entire series in lockdown because I was like, got to do something. And I was also teaching at the time. So I was like, ah, (laughs) is there an author past and present who's influenced, inspired and made you excited about books? Um, Yeah, I mean, I think I read from a very young age. My mum my dad doesn't read at all and because he can't we think he's dyslexic too but yeah. he he's never been formally kind of diagnosed as such but so he was kind of less into books and learning and things but my mum always encouraged us to read yeah and in fact as children I remember you know in the in the holidays we would always go to the library and same um, you know yep. and I remember and I remember that you know you used to be able to get four books and then it was eight books and then it was 12 books or something. And yeah. my and brother and I, we always, to read them. Yeah. 
Yeah, we used to get this huge stack. Um, and I think so I read widely from quite a young age and my reading wasn't censored at all. And and so I kind of, you know, the books I grew up on were Agatha Christie thrillers um, yeah. and, um, you know, Stephen King's, the, the, the books of Stephen King. Um, and then I kind of progressed to, you know, writers like Angela Carter, um, Jeanette Winterson, um, and, uh, you know, and then kind of latterly into sort of Val McDermott and Rankin, you know, in the kind of crime series. Um, mm-hmm. And, I mean, and there's so much choice out there, isn't there? There's so many kind Fantastic of books ways. to read. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I read everything that I could lay my hands on, really. Um, but I would say, you know, the ones that I've just kind of mentioned are the ones that made the most profound impression on me, I think. Um did you um, never you know, um, discover Catherine Cookson in your journey? Well, my mum read a lot of Catherine Cookson and uh-huh. my nan, and I remember the kind of front covers. Um, yeah, and I did, and I also went through a phase, and I can't remember who the authors were, but they were um, the. Oh, was it Lena Kennedy? Was that her name? And it was often it was it was like an oval picture of a woman, and it yeah. would just be a single name. Um, as the name of the story, I read loads of those. I read the Sweet Valley High books. You remember those? Yes, I, don't know I do. Any of those, um, and I read a lot of kind of. Um, I used to spend my book tokens on like horror, so like whatever kind of suitably horror, and I can't remember what they were called, like dark. Um, oh, I can't remember dark fiction, um, but wasn't they, it back in the day. There was like an imprint and it was mm-hmm. a particular kind of book. And it was, I remember like ones about poltergeist, poltergeists or yeah. kind of scary, like lots of scary things. Um, um, so, you know, kind of a real sort of mishmash. And then as I got older and I was kind of exposed to much more kind of, you know, classic fiction, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and, you know, things, you know, like Austin and Bronte and all of that kind of stuff, Hardy. Um, And so I would, I read those two and I did English at university. um, Mm -hmm. And I think I just, I think what I loved so much about reading was that I lived in kind of, you know, a small town in Essex. um, Mm -hmm. And what reading does is it takes you to different worlds, uh, different places. And, and and more importantly, it introduces you to new ideas, right? So, you know, things that I hadn't considered or I didn't know about because they fell outside, you know, what I what I was being exposed to as a as a child and a teenager. Um and so that more than anything is what I love about books and reading. I'm the same as you. I, I grew up in Shetland, and if you know where that is, it's like right at the north of Scotland. 16 hour boat journeys just to get to Aberdeen so it was I always felt hemmed in I always felt restless I was one of those really restless kids so it would take me a long time to read anything and what my nan did was I think my nan realized that I was dyslexic before I did so every eastern summer she would take me and she would make me pick out books however she didn't really check the books I was checking out (laughs) Because I ended up with like Mills and Boone, Catherine Cookson. It was like a, a mix of, of romance. Um, and then I found Debbie Galori and I just, I fell in love with her Wicked Dead series. It was so funny. And then Harry Potter arrived and my mom was like, that was the first time me and my mom ever connected on books. And we read the series and she was awful. She would buy the book ahead 
she would read that book and I had to wait for her to finish before I could get it. <laughs> and I'm like sitting there and she would be trying really hard not to spoil it. And I'd be like, hurry up, mom. <laughs> so, yeah. But that's, yeah, I mean, my, and I was allowed to, I mean, my mom didn't know, hadn't read half the books that I was reading. Um, yeah. But, and I, and I kind of had the same sort of dilemma with my own children because my 12 year old daughter is, um, a very advanced reader and yeah. you know so some of the books that she reads I mean I I bought her the um well I recommended actually that she read the Sarah J Maz books yeah because um I don't know if I'm saying her name correctly but um I recommended that someone buy them for her for her birthday and then I tweeted about it and a few people got in touch to say you know do you know what these books are yeah. you know I, I like. did the same so, thing I I honestly thought it was like a clean young adult series it doesn't but, stay but, that way. But no, and I did I had I read a couple of the chapters. Um somebody sent me um like a couple of chapter references so I could get yeah. a kind of a flavour. And I did think very carefully about it, but in the end, what I decided is that actually children they, they self censor. Yeah. So they if they're uncomfortable with what they're reading if they're frightened by what they're reading or yep. if they are um, unhappy, they put the book down. Yeah. And I don't want to dictate what my children read because, frankly, I'm just happy that they're reading. I'm the and same, actually, yeah. you know, there is so much that children can access through the internet. You know, d- you can be the most careful parent in the world with your kind of parental controls, that kind of thing. But they are always able to access all sorts of things, much more extreme things than I ever did when I was a child. And so I think actually if they learn about things through books and through reading, in some ways that's almost a softer introduction to yeah, you know to things yeah. like sex and all of that kind of stuff. So, you know, I try very hard to let them read what they want, really. And what I, I mean, I discussed this with my partner because we're starting to have a family this year. And I said to him, I said, I'm not going to lock away the erotica that's in the house. I'm not going to hide Catherine Cookson. I said, because at the end of the day, they're going to find this stuff online. They're going to hear about it in the playground. It's, I mean, I worked in a school with 12 year olds and I was hearing about them talking about, oh, you know, I might want to sleep with him or her. They maybe didn't understand what they were saying, but it's there. And, you know, these kids are listening to Eminem and they're listening to these rap songs and it's, it's, it's exposure and you can't, you can't help it. You can't change it. So I also think you can, you can use it as learning moments. Like you saying that you kind of connected with your mom over Harry Potter or whatever. And then, you know, my daughter and I have both, I mean, it was quite a long time ago, but I read the Twilight series when it first came out and she has kind of read that recently. And, you know, so you can say, actually, it's not acceptable to have, you know, if you're, if you're, um, you know, your partner or whatever was to turn up in your bedroom and watch you while you were sleeping, you know, that would be a big red flag. Yeah. And I would teach that. Yeah. So you can, you know, you so you can use those moments as well. You can say, yeah, this is for the storytelling, but actually if that happened in real life or, you know, someone was following you and you didn't know that they were following you, you know, that is unacceptable. Um, That's, that's come to tell mum and dad. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you can use moments in, in, in reading too i think um but yeah i mean so i have to ask this because you mentioned twilight so (laughs) have you read the last one edward well 
Oh, Ed, the one from Edward's point of view. Yeah. I haven't. Now, my daughter has got that, but I haven't read it. She's read it, but I haven't. I read it um, this year. I was in ICU. And, of course, my hubby picked the books. Mental note, I'll make sure to tell him titles to take him to hospital. <laughs> because not, it, A, it was, you just, you've seen the size of it. It's huge. And it's a hardback. And yeah. I'm trying to balance it in an ICU on a pillow. I've got all these lines and tubes and everything going everywhere. And I'm trying to read it. And I'm the only person awake in ICU. <laughs> and they were trying to get me a, a little light so I could actually read it. And I was reading it and I was feeling almost like <laughs> I couldn't follow it very well. because it and not And not because I was sick or the drugs or anything. But I felt like it was so jumping all over the place. It didn't have the same flow as her original Twilight series did. Well, so I, I, I struggled with it. I mean, I, I haven't read it, and I think because I read, you know, the original ones when they all came out. But yeah. I think, you know, as what sometimes happens with with series, and I don't mean to kind of, um, you know, single her, single. Um, no, no, you know, don't. Mayor out particularly, but I just I think sometimes what you can do is, you know. Something is brilliant as it is, and then when it's you know when it because it's successful, they you know yeah. the franchise is extended and extended and extended because they mm-hmm. want to capitalize on the success. When sometimes actually it's better to just keep it you know in its original form, I guess. But, I think, and you know, I think that was her. just supposed to be a trilogy. It didn't, yeah, it didn't yeah. feel and like I've, it should have gone on longer than it did. Yeah, and I and you know, and I'm not you know, I am not sniffy about any kind of. Um, fiction any genre you know i i believe that people should read what they enjoy yeah i I um, totally agree i must admit i would love to see like a spin-off with jacob and like explore the werewolves and to see him find somebody that he loves almost like he moves on from bella i think he should move on from bella right yeah and it would have been nice like when i heard she was doing something twilight series i was like oh please let this be following jacob because that would Mm -hmm. have been amazing to have seen that kind of series happen so i must admit i was maybe that's what i hoped for and i didn't get it so it was a bit she might do it yet though you never know oh no i i know i i really hope she listens to this and goes yeah i'm gonna go right there (laughs) because that would be awesome um but yeah i mean i i was a fan uh until that last one but yeah so what genre do you feel drawn to when you go to a bookshop or if you're looking at books online? Where's the first genre you click on? Um, I probably am quite drawn to crime um, Mm -hmm. and sort of psychological thriller. Um, I, you know, but the, the, the beauty of the crime genre is that it is so wide, you know, from, you know, cosy crime, really kind Mm -hmm. of cosy crime and to, you know, the really kind of dark, brutal, you know, crime novels. So, you know, and everything in between. So there is a lot of scope um, to explore. Um, But I also enjoy contemporary fiction. I like to read the books that there's the huge buzz about and that, Mm -hmm. you know, people are, um, you know, talking about and enjoying because I like to see if I enjoy them too. Um, And I think sometimes, you know, if you read too much crime, sometimes I just need a distraction from 
um, you know, other crime because because what happens, unfortunately, and I don't know if you find this too, is that when you are a writer, an author, is that sometimes you start to unpick how the author is doing what they're doing and yep. actually what I want to do is just sit there and read a book I want to be so swept up yep. in the story um that I don't even think about the joins about the characters about how they're doing what they do um so it's books that can do that I, I enjoy some historical fiction um and you know sort of so did you do the narrative. Outlander series or did you avoid that no I haven't read that would you recommend it I do recommend it. However, I believe in trigger warnings, if you know what I mean. So in that particular book, there is a rape. um, And it is very brutally done. And it's carried on into book two. Um, The writing is amazing. She does get a little bit of the Scottish wrong in terms of like Highlanders have a different accent to Lowlanders. So that was my only flaw with it. But I do recommend her because she's she's easy to read. She's easy to get into. And she was a great distraction for me when I was stuck in contemporary. Like mm. when I was writing Marie's World, I needed that escape, like you said, to go somewhere else and to focus on something else. Um, and that's what I did. And I, I must admit, I enjoyed her. I couldn't watch the series because I knew what was coming at the end. And I'm like, no, I, I, I can't do it. So, um, yeah, I recommend her. And, you know, Rachel Kane's another good one. If you're just, like, for your daughter, if she's wanting a nice yeah. vampire series with physics in it, that's an incredible series. Especially with the way that they use physics. She uses physics throughout. Um, and also there's a vampire who has pink vampire bunny slippers. And if he doesn't have his bunny <laughs> slippers, he freaks out. So there's a lot of humor in it, too. So yeah, yeah, um, and I, and I think and sometimes kind of nonfiction can be good too, or yep. listening to podcasts, or just kind of you know the distraction from um, you know just being so kind of immersed in crime. And yeah, because what I enjoy about good, or what I consider to be kind of good crime fiction, I like to um, read books that have distinctive characters that have you know or have compelling and interesting plots because there is a, an awful lot of fiction that is sort of crime fiction that can be quite samey if that makes yeah. kind of no, sense no, does, and yeah. you want you know you want something that's you know a bit different too I think yeah and and that's that's how I feel and um I always say if you if you want to venture down a, a twin turning on twin story there's always mine um Hopefully you don't see the plot hole, but never mind. Has there no, been... but now you've told me about it, I'll be looking for it. <laughs> yeah, well, I was going to offer you a signed copy, actually. But <laughs> Has there been a book that you've picked up and you thought to yourself, I should never have picked this up. Why did I pick it up? I don't think so. And I'll tell you why. Because I am... I I do not subscribe to the school of thought that you have to finish a book if you're not enjoying it. Yeah. So I would say, and you know, and actually, what I tend to do, especially if I'm buying books, um, eBooks, um, is that I will read the sample first to yeah. see whether um, I think I'm going to enjoy it. And I'd say it's about a fifty fifty conversion rate. Sometimes I read the sample and think, you know, I'm just not gonna bother with this i'm yeah. not enjoying this um and sometimes i think god i have to find out what happens next 
Um, but and I think no, because I, you know, I'm very loath to, um, you know, I don't feel massively comfortable kind of speaking negatively about other people's writing. And I tell you why, because I think I know, we both know yeah, the effort that goes into creating a book. And, you know, whether or not it's your cup of tea, um, I recognise that, you know, someone has taken time um, and effort and thought and all of their hopes and dreams and ambition and everything. And passion, all yeah. Yep. Passion, everything. It's all tied up in their writing, you know, and we and we were, we were all different. And I, you know, and I do believe as well that, you know, there is room for everyone. You there know, is. There readers, is. There's readers, so many. Yeah. Yeah, and readers who love, you know, who love fiction, they don't buy just one book. They buy many books. Yeah. And so um, I can't think of any book because actually what I do is just put it down. I don't I do that too. Do, yeah. But it is, it's like a question a lot of readers ask me. And I was exactly. like, I have to include this in the podcast because like every time I did a sign-in, they always said to me, is there a book you can't read? And I'm thinking, that's such a weird question to ask me. But I think, um, I mean, I, you know, I think if I was, you know, pushed, I mean, we're talking about kind of um, like, you know, despite despite the dark nature of my own crime fiction, you know, mm-hmm. if you read my work carefully, you will know that I am, you know, although I deal with dark things and I, I do write in quite a descriptive way, I try so hard not to be gratuitous with yeah. the way that I do it. You know, I'm not all about kind of, you know, blood and gore and all of that sort of mm-hmm. stuff. Um, and I don't, you know, that's not my style and I probably wouldn't want to read. Like, that's not to say that I wouldn't write, describe, you know, a crime scene in mm-hmm. in quite what some people might consider sort of graphic in a graphic way but not in a gratuitous way which is a different thing um and you know and I wouldn't want to like I'm not I don't I'm uncomfortable reading books that um you know although the children um in my novels often are victims of you know some kind of um violence yeah you know violence or humiliation or some kind of um parental abuse and just kind of like a a, you know you're talking about trigger warning so one here but um I don't I don't like reading about child sex abuse for example I wouldn't want to read that I did I did actually pick up one book I'm not going to name it and um and it talked in quite graphic terms about that and I just thought I just don't want to read this yeah it's not something I would particularly want to write either to be honest I've seen those books somebody gave me one and they said, look, it's got child abuse. In it. And I said, uh, um, okay, uh, I have not picked it up yet. I think I'm almost like, because when I go into like dark writing, I have to find dark material to like get myself there. And I almost don't want to because I'm going to be a mum. So I'm like, I can't read this because it's going to destroy it for yeah, me. I th- and I think... I think it definitely changes things. Like I, you know, in my previous life, I was a journalist and I was a showbiz journalist um, for the latter half of my career. But at the start of it, I was a news journalist covering Mm -hmm. kind of, you know, very big news stories. And, you know, before I had children, when I, when I would read the morning's papers, I would, I would often skim the stories about children. Yeah. But as soon as I had children, I would start reading them and I would just, they would just make me cry because, you know, or like if I read about, I don't know, some kind of 
I don't know, a stabbing where a teenager has died or something like that. You know, Which it's is so, so relatable now. It's so common. Yeah, it's and it's so relatable now as a as a parent and yeah, you know, and it does you know, it does change your view on things, or it does for me at least. Yeah, and it, the thing is I've got a wonderful husband. He actually came from from a very bad area in Glasgow. And he sat one night and he was actually telling me the stories of like the ice cream van wars. I don't know if you ever heard of that. I have heard of that, yeah. And I was like blown away that he was this so well put together person after living in the places in the place that the ice cream horse was taking place being in an area where the police wouldn't even drive through unless they were in full riot mm. gear and i mm. thought i couldn't imagine living like that you know because i grew up in shetland where we've had maybe two murders in 50 years and it was just shocking for me to hear him say things like oh you know i didn't walk from one council estate to the other because i you know, you could get stabbed or you could get chased with a sword. And I thought, okay, then, you know, and it was like talking about how they went out in twos, you know, he would only go out with his cousin and, and things like that. It was so eye opening for somebody that had lived such a sheltered life when I came to Glasgow as well. And I had this respect for them in a way, because it was a tough life that they were living. And I think that's what I took from him and I put in my novels is the toughness. There's always one character that's just really appears tough, but she's so vulnerable inside. And I was saying to him, I'm like, you might, because he read Ian Rankin and adored Ian Rankin. But now he's looking at your books and he's thinking, she's as good, if not better than Ian. And to me, that was like, I scored. I got him into a series that he loves. And he's such a <laughs> difficult reader to get interested in things. So I was like, yes. Oh, well, that is high praise indeed. And I, you know, and very kind, but especially from someone Ian's from the master, Glasgow. isn't he? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I think, I think that's as well, because this is going to be like a global podcast. It almost gives them like little snippets of insight into like the UK, because the amount of times that people say to me, are you American or are you Welsh? And I'm like, no. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of also good to sort of say, hey, here in Britain, we have lots of things going on. You've gone crime. We've got problems with knives. So, you know, <laughs> it, it, it works itself out. We're, we're sharing it, if, if nothing else. So we're going into writing. And I think, you know, we've talked a little bit about this already. But how did you go about creating your darker characters and, and creating those storylines? Was there a like a method that you used to get into that or was there like inspiration from your life that you were able to draw? What what led you into those darker characters? Um, I suppose um, with my first novel, Rattle was my debut um, yeah. and I've been working as a journalist on the Daily Mirror, which is a national uh, newspaper here in the UK, um, and I kind of had enough. Um, but also a couple of things happened. Um, my my brother's wife, my sister-in-law, um, she was about uh, maybe about 35, 36 at the time. Um, she was 
diagnosed with stage four lymphoma, which is a type of blood cancer. Yeah. Um, it was advanced. Um, it was aggressive. Um, and they had a baby who was about four weeks old when she was diagnosed. Yeah. Um, so that happened. And then within a few weeks of that, um, I gave birth to my second child. Um, but my son, who was not yet two at the time, also became desperately ill um, and um, was, you know, very poorly. And it was just such an awful time. And what it made me do is it, it pulled me up short mm-hmm. and it made me think, you know what, nothing, nothing in life is promised, you know, exactly. and there are no guarantees and we owe it to ourselves if we can. And I appreciate it isn't always possible, but if we can, you know, to do the things that we want to do and exactly. to pursue our passions and the things that interest us. And so, you know, in a, highly emotional move which I wouldn't necessarily recommend I quit my job <laughs> yep. um I didn't get redundancy I just left um yep. and um and I thought I'm gonna have a crack at writing a book which is what I did mm-hmm. um I'd never written before it like kind of fiction I mean I'd yeah. you know I thought about it. I mean I, I'd written sort of poems and short stories and I'd always kind of loved writing but it never occurred to me that I could get paid to write I mean, I thought I'll have a go and I didn't really know what I was doing. And I, you know, I signed up to the Faber Academy's writing a novel course. Um, it's quite expensive. It's a six month course. Um, well and, worth it, though. Yeah, it was. It really, really was. But, it, you know, it was a gamble in that, um, you know, I was having a go at something that I didn't actually know that I could do. But, it, you know, in the end, it paid off for me. I started Rattle on that course um and um and at the end of it one of the great things about it is that your work is collated in an anthology that's sent to agents and editors and yeah. there was a reading day where they came along um and and from that i basically had kind of emails from about seven agents who were interested in seeing the full manuscript when it was finished yeah um i had my kind of dream agent who i'd already met kind of in mind um and she was one of the agents who offered representation when I'd finished it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and then I kind of, so I think, you know, I was drawn at the time, um, I was going through quite a dark period, I suppose, mm-hmm. because of all of the kind of family illness and, and so much kind of worry. And I think what I did was use my writing, and I still do it now, actually, use yeah. my writing as a way to process the things that happen. And, um, and the same and just way. In, <laughs> I was just going to say, and incidentally, my sister-in-law has been in remission for 10 years, thank God. Oh, yeah, and, that's amazing. Um, you know, yeah. and my son made a full recovery. And, mm-hmm. you know, but at the time, none of those things were a guarantee. Um, and, you know, I'm grateful. I'm really, you know, so grateful for that. But, you know, what it did do was it, it turned me, you know, on a different path. I'm, I mean, that's the kind of same thing for me, really. I I got diagnosed with arthritis at two and a half years old. And my entire life was hospitals. I didn't know anywhere else. Like, when I went to school, I didn't really understand school because it wasn't where I spent the majority of my life. And that, that did affect me because I lost so much of my education. Even though we had a teacher in the hospital, you still lost time because... They can't send down workbooks continuously. And 
for me it was like the Azurite is is almost like a shadow figure to me because he's been with me my entire life. And I went through a really bad period where I just couldn't deal with my family. I couldn't deal with life. And I met my, my husband and I left Shetland and I moved to Glasgow. And everyone was shocked because they were like, oh my God, she's left. And it was there that I opened myself up to writing and I I wrote and I wrote for independent publishers and I I wrote with a lot of them before they shut down. And it was it was my honestly it was like therapy to all the stuff that I saw in hospital, all the darkness and stuff that I had to deal with in hospital. Um and I what I didn't know until I was a lot older was I was actually placed on a cancer ward from my arthritis because they didn't have anywhere else to put me. Mm-hmm. And I was actually on similar drugs to the to the cancer kids, and that was extremely difficult because that group of kids I was on rotation with didn't make it, so I was like the last one standing. And the scars from that was what kept me writing, because it was almost like if I keep writing, I can keep them alive in my head, and I, you know, these are yeah. big parts of who I am and friends and stuff. And I think that's absolutely true because I think, you know, for me, certainly um, when I was writing, you know, Rattle is that, you know, while you might not be able to control the the fate of the people that you love, you can control the fate of the characters on your page. And so that was kind of what writing was for me. And actually, um, you mentioned before we started recording that you'd read Rattle when you were in hospital and actually some of Rattle is written at my son's bedside when he Mm -hmm. was in hospital and so some of those hospital scenes are taken you know directly from a a hospital environment but I think you know most people who write you know have experienced grief, loss, heartbreak you know as well as all the joyous things like you know falling in love and you know wonderful things happening to you so you know I think coming to writing a bit older for me was better because I had more life experience and because of that life experience you're then able to pour more into the books that you write and that I mean that's what I I said to a lot of writers because Joe is a lot older than me and he was my co-author and he was kind of like I'm the type of person that runs to the edge of the cliff but doesn't quite realize that it's the edge of the cliff in writing so he was kind of like the person pulling me back going okay, let, let's hold on to this bit to the next set in the book. So he was almost like reining me in, which was really good because I wrote that series. I was 21 when I wrote it. And I had been working on that idea since I was about 14. So it was a long, long time coming. And I started it and I just, it was like, just, it was like almost being able to let go of all that, baggage that I had sort of lumped around with me for so long and and it's not to say I mean and it's not to say because I think there are a lot of very talented young writers or Mm -hmm. younger writers who are working today so it's not necessarily about age but I think you know for me um, I was so the job that I was doing was such an intense job that took so much of your time and your attention that I didn't really have anything left over um, to write you know, in the evenings and, um, and, you know, and I appreciate, 
I really do appreciate it when people say they find it difficult to carve out the time to write. I mean, yeah, you know, I do. do think there are, you know, there are moments, if, you know, especially if you're in full-time work. I mean, it is possible. It's definitely not impossible, but it's harder. It know. is so it's much harder, harder if you're working. It's full-time. really dedicated. Dedication has to come into it because yeah, I was, I was teaching full-time and then I got sepsis and of course my body didn't realize it had sepsis so it had walled off this infection and uh two ct well four ct scans later they find it and i had to have my jaw joints removed and then i spent six months not being able to eat anything but baby food (laughs) which by the way is a perfect way to lose weight i went (laughs) i literally went from 58 kilos to 32 in six months oh no and i was like I just kept writing. I never sent that stuff out. I had let maybe like one or two people read it. But what kept me going was that discipline of, okay, in the morning, I have to write 2,000 words. Done. Okay, I can go play a game or hang out with husband or whatever. And I would do that. And it was almost, he couldn't believe that I was doing sort of remote teaching, writing, and dealing with sepsis all in the same time frame. Um, I wish that, you know, the Edinburgh Council didn't dock three weeks of my wages because I was in the hospital. (laughs) But I learned that these are the things you have to go through in order to be able to write full time and to share the stories that, you know, people have gone through and people have experienced. And I think that really matters. And that's why I love doing this podcast now, because it's a good chance to get there. What inspired you to enter the crime world with your own writing voices? Was it just the, the experience you, you were going through or was there a particular Well, no, spark? I think it was I just I just kind of wrote the story that I wanted to write. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, it was kind of. You know, I didn't really know much about the world of publishing at all. And when I'd finished Rattle um, and I had my agent and my agent um, said, right, OK, we're ready to put this on submission. Um, and it went out to kind of five of the biggest publishing houses, essentially. Um, and every one of them turned it down. Oh, no. And the feedback was pretty much unanimous, um, which was that the book was half crime, half horror. Yeah. Um, and I had to decide kind of which way to jump. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, what I was trying to do was kind of be a, a sort of Stephen King for the crime world, I suppose. But, <laughs> you know, I realise now that, um, you know, obviously I didn't pull it off with enough panache, right, when I was starting out. So I didn't, yeah. I wasn't able to do that in a way that was kind of compelling enough or effective enough and so what all these editors I was I was invited in to meet a few publishers and what they said was yeah you have to choose um you know you have to decide whether it's going to be crime or or horror and Mm -hmm. all of them recommended to that I went the crime route because it's the you know the biggest genre um and I think now I, I understand because actually when you write a book you know it has to be easy for the bookseller to know where it goes in the bookstore, right? Because, yeah. um, you know, you don't want them to be thinking, where shall we put this? 
Um, And so I went for crime. And so what I was invited to do was what they call a revise and resubmit. Um, And that's what I did. So I spent about six months reworking it into a full on crime novel. And then it went out on submission again. And uh, that time it was a different story. And and that's Um, amazing to kind of hear. And at least they gave you the opportunity to revise it. Whereas a lot yeah, of people I mean, don't get that chance, you know. Not everyone has an opportunity to do that. And I think, you know, and I'm really grateful because um, they must, they saw something in my yeah. writing that they liked. Um, and I was given a second chance, I suppose. And at the time I was so down about it. But now I realise that it was absolutely the right thing to do. And, um, you know, that it made it into a much better book. And one of the editors who had... Um, encouraged me to do this kind of revise and resubmit. She um, she ended up buying it. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And I think yeah. that's like super important too is to have that connection with your editor in the publishing company. Like for me, I met um, a beautiful publisher, um, Melanie in Wild Rose Press, and she came to me and she said, "I love your book, but your dyslexia is making it." very difficult to read it and it was like a heartbreak almost because I'm like okay and she goes you can come back to us and with the revision and we'll probably take it but you have to go get it edited because this is too bad but it was like that moment and I've had I've had the same sort of offers from Mills and Boone and things like that and I always feel like handicapped by the dyslexia and I feel like a lot of publishers they'll look at a book and even if they love it they don't want to deal with the dyslexia part or at least that's I been think my experience I think it's much tougher than it used to be and I think you know once yeah. upon a time you know certainly in in years gone by an editor would spend a lot more time editing a book than they yeah. do now and my agency very much believe that you know their job so I worked really closely with my agent editorially um, and worked on my book for quite some time with her to make it into the absolute best shape it could be and I felt like I'd already done quite a lot of editorial revisions with my agent before it even went out on submission and I think that is a general change in the industry is that editors edit less than they used to that's not Um, to say they don't edit at all because they absolutely do and there's some brilliant brilliant editors out there um but there's just a bit less time to do it I I think I think I admire your agent a lot more because I've never had an agent that's actually worked with me I've had some really bad luck with agents like it it's always been like I get the the unlucky coin um but to have an agent that would sit and write, well, almost edit with you, that is amazing yeah. to hear. And, and It gives me and, a bit and, of hope, if nothing else. Well, absolutely. And I was going to say that when, um, you know, when I was choosing editors, I was lucky enough to have a few offers of representation. Yeah. Um, and the reason that I went with Sophie Lambert, who is my editor, she's at um, C&W, which was formerly Convolum Walsh, which is part of Curtis Brown is that um, of all the editors, of all the agents, she said to me, um, I'm pretty, she said to me, it's good, but we can make it better. Um, And I'm pretty, and I'm pretty gruesome um, and expect a lot from you. And and, and then I was instantly sold on that because I wanted to make my book the best it could be. 
And I, I feel, I feel like that's part of all of us too. Like, you know, we all try and do that in a way. So when you do your books, is it like a movie or a jigsaw puzzle for you? Um, I would say it's a combination of both, actually. Mm -hmm. I know that's a bit of a cop-out, but my um, film and TV agent often says that the way that I write is quite filmic. Um, Yeah, I'm the same. You know, yeah, you can kind of see the sequences in your mind's eye. But because my plots are quite complicated um, and multi-layered and they can be kind of full of twists and turns, it is a little bit like piecing a jigsaw puzzle together mm-hmm. and making sure that you don't miss any pieces from that puzzle so there isn't a great big gaping hole in the middle of your jigsaw that you have tied up every loose end until you've yeah. got um a story that fits together perfectly does uh, does your entertainment side kind of like pull their hair out a little bit with you because that was what my experience was with my um executive producer bless him he he read my my script and he went it's beautiful because they had me write it, which I thought was funny. And he went, it's beautiful, but <laughs> the multi-layer thing is driving me crazy. I'm like, oh, okay. well, I have never, I mean, three out of my books have been optioned for television so far. And for yeah. each of those, um, they invited me to write the script if I wanted to. Um, but I, I haven't, ever taken them up on that offer because I didn't feel experienced enough as a script writer and I was worried that I would spend you know six months working on a script or longer um, on something that never got made um, when really what I'm trying to do at the moment is establish my name in crime fiction so yeah exactly um, and you know nothing none of nothing of mine has has got to television yet um but you know I'll keep my fingers crossed for you because I really want (laughs) to see your stuff on tv because if I please can do it you can do it you know well, I think Anne Cleves is an absolutely fascinating story. I mean, I don't know if you know the kind of backstory of Anne, but she's published by the same publisher as I am. Yeah. And actually, she would say she was with, I think, you know, Pam McMillan for 20 years or something. And then yeah. um, she, a television producer, was on holiday in a holiday cottage and picked up, I think it was one of the Vera books, um, mm-hmm. you know, that was just on the shelf in the cottage, read it and fell in love with it. And that was how the series was born. So, you know, I am... Um, I suppose I'm an optimist at heart and I think, and that's, you know, there are opportunities around every corner. You just don't know yet. And, and I, that's and what I think I've found, e- yeah. I mean, yeah, and, 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 ev- crazy. and every new every new book that you write is a is a new opportunity, so. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then that's what, like, I liked the fact that Anne Cleves, who'd lived in Shetland for a period of time, had fallen in love with the, the place. And it was almost sad that she stopped writing the Shetland series after her partner died. Because mm-hmm. there was so much that she experienced and she loved in the islands, the ruralness and the fact that you can't escape the island. And, you know, there's just that kind of, if something happens, the tension in the air, you can feel it. So you walk mm-hmm. along Main Street and you know what's going on because the town either hums or it's full of tension. And as a writer, particularly for me growing up around the Viking culture, around all that, I kind of absorbed it and then I would put it into the page and my mother hated having me home because the first thing I would do every morning was write. And I had to say to her so many times, stop, don't interrupt me. I'm going to go and do my 2000 words. I will come and speak to you when I'm done. And she couldn't understand the discipline of that. Like 
I would do mm-hmm. 2000 before I was going to sleep and 2000 when I got up. And for six months, she watched me and she said, you're like this crazy witch doctor. Because I would honestly forget like about baths. I would, I would barely eat. She'd have to remind me to eat because I would get so into the books. And then she would literally take me to the mirror and say, your hair is standing in 50 directions. I think you need a shower. <laughs> so I'm, I'm terrible for that. And mine's is very much like a movie. So I can pull those little threads and stuff. So I, I have to ask, is there a character that stayed with you the most or the longest? Um, I think really we sort of perhaps answered that a little bit earlier and that is uh, Saul. Yeah. Because he has been with me kind of, I suppose, from quite early on. Um, and there's just something about him that I'm drawn to. Um, and obviously making him into a detective now, I think there's, he's a kind of a rich scene to mine. And I think, you know, there's so much more to come from Saul. Um, so I think probably he is the character that has stayed with me and made the most impression on me. Yeah. Yeah. I think I have one character who just does not leave me alone. So Mm -hmm. I could be working on something completely unrelated. And she'll just sort of walk through it and be like, I want to have a conversation or I want the scene done. And it's so frustrating to me sometimes because I have to just minimize that book, write down the scene and then go back to the book I was doing because she's so demanding. And I think she will never, ever leave in a way because she's like part of me now. And Marie, I... You know, everyone says that, like, Marie's the one character that just hangs around you. And I had that from a reader. She's like, I went away and I was reading another book and I could hear Marie's voice in the in the corner of her head saying, there's a new book out. Why are you not reading my story? And it was almost like she was haunting this poor reader. And I kind of <laughs> felt bad and I'm like, but that happens to me every day. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> she's just, that's my character. And I, I always think it's fun if you have that one character that just just doesn't leave you alone, even though you wish that they would I go away. I don't really have that. I mean, I, you know, I, I know some people talk about the kind of characters running away with them, and that doesn't really happen for me. Like, I feel very firmly in control of the characters <laughs> rather than the characters in control of me. Um, but... You know, I do have moments like you where I suddenly I'll be doing something completely different and an idea or, um, you know, uh, something about a quirk of their personality or something will happen and I'll write it down because I don't want to forget that. Um, no, you don't. And and sometimes yeah. it's cracking scenes and then sometimes you read it back and you're like, the hell did I write? It makes no <laughs> sense. Is there a character you wish you could write more about? And if so, who? Um, I don't think so. I mean, I feel like I'm writing the books that I want to write and yeah. the characters that I want to write. I mean, you know, people, I remember um, when I kind of, in the first two books, Rattle and the Collector, which operate really as a, a kind of duology. Yeah. Um, there's a detective called Etta Fitzroy, um, and I very much enjoyed writing her. Um, and then at the end of it, I just kind of sent her off to 
um, you know, America. And I remember a very kind of seasoned crime author saying to me, that is a very bold move. Yep. Um, and I think it was because I just wasn't ready to write series fiction. I wanted mm-hmm. to dip my toe into different things. I was worried that writing the kind of same characters would become, you know, I have quite a low attention span, I suppose. I get bored very easily. And I was yeah. worried that that would be what happened. Um, and it's really only now with Saul that I feel like I want to kind of explore him further and the publishers are really keen on that too and I and so you know I'm ready to do that now um but I wanted to try kind of different things as well um do you think you'll write her do you think you will venture into the Americans I don't know I think no probably not certainly not at the moment um but you know never say never I think to anything but um I've I learned think, the lesson of that one. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And also, like, you know, Rattle was my first book. And when I say that, I mean, it was the first book that I'd ever written. I had had a go at right, starting a couple of other things yeah. and they'd sort of run out of steam a little bit. Um, but so Rattle was, I consider really Rattle my first bit of, you know, full length fiction um and you know I've learned a lot since then you know you learn and that's yeah. the thing about being a writer isn't it you become more experienced with every book um and you learn and, every book yeah yeah you learn you learn with every book that you write something new I mean I learned how I, I am so lucky because um Stephanie who's my sort of freelance editor she said this book is so good I want to do it chapter by chapter because I want to make sure that your development edit is perfection and I had a lot of weight because there's a really big agent one to see it and I was just like I needed it to be perfect I still need it to be perfect almost in my mind but she's very good at sort of the encouragement side as well yes she's brutal and she's tough but she's really good at saying hey I love this hook or I love that so I'm grateful for that almost um yeah, I mean, but, and I yeah. think, you know, a good editor, a good agent, they're not going to tell you everything that's wrong with your book in the no. most brutal way, or at least what you hope is you that hope not. <laughs> you know, they like some of what you've done as yeah. well. My agent, I always laugh at her because I always know when she doesn't like something because she starts the sentence, I wonder if, yep. you know, we could do th- <laughs> or you could do this. Um, I've had those but, sentences. You know, I, I'm not um precious about my writing I'm kind of I'm not I'm happy to be edited and in fact you know an experienced editor an experienced agent they are you know worth their weight in gold because they know the market you know much better than I do and they guide you and Mm -hmm. you know and that's what you want that's why that's why you you know you have these talented professionals in your life because ultimately you want the same thing which is to make the book better yeah, and then that's been my experience, really, because as I was saying before we came on, like this morning, I had two separate editors, which work on two different books, but really good friends of mine. And they dropped them on me and I was like, oh. <laughs> so I'm like trying to play catch up. But yeah, I mean, I've discovered things like that. Good agents is good, you know, um, if you find one. But also editors are really important, even if it's freelance editors because you're essentially working towards having that perfect novel or that perfect story so what techniques have you found helpful and were there any that you wish you hadn't tried 
Um, techniques. I think not so much a technique, I suppose, but um, what my agent always says um, when she reads my stuff, and particularly in relation to the characters who are doing doing wrong, yeah, is you know why. Mm-hmm. why are they doing that okay yep. it's not enough to say they do that because they are evil or yep. because you know they enjoy pain or because whatever inflicting pain or whatever you know it's unpicking the why because once you have understood the motivation for your character everything else falls into place because then yep. what you do is you build their backstory so you realize that you know this kind of twisted brutal killer is this way because you know his father you know was neglectful and violent and hurtful and he knew no different and Mm -hmm. you know and so when you do that and then you begin to feel sympathy too or empathy at the very least and I and I think that's you know I always used to say that about battle you know with the serial killer and that the collector and the you know the Mm -hmm. bone collector is that um, you know, I ended up he, feeling sorry for him. So yeah. Well, you know, he he did these awful things, but you know, he loved his wife, or you know yeah. that kind of thing. And I'm I'm fascinated by that. So you know, when when we're talking about technique, when I am um, writing and in the kind of you know right in the middle of writing something, I um, interrogate very closely why my characters are behaving in the way that I do. Um, I suppose one of the other things that, you know, when you're saying about things that I, I, you know, I tried a lot in my earlier books with this kind of one sentence thing that I did for a dramatic effect or like, you know, one sentence chapter or, you know, I'm not sure how effective that is. I was playing around a lot with style. Um, so that yeah, is a question Smith mark. Alice does over. that a lot. She's, she's really yeah. clever at that. Alan, Ali Smith. A question, I suppose. And the other thing, which is kind of, and I'm told it's a really common thing um, when you start writing is the expletives. So in my early books, right, I used to, my characters, it was absolutely peppered with swearing. And as I've kind of got more experience, you know, I've cut almost all the swearing out. And I think that is another, it's a really common thing apparently that you do as a new writer is that you swear you use kind of expletives for emphasis. You think that, you know, because actually I, you know, I, I actually do swear quite a lot in my daily life. And I because do, I, you know, growing yeah. up, well, growing up in a newspaper background, you know, um, you know, spent my formative years really on newspapers is that every other word was a swear word and it wasn't <laughs> offensive. It was just used for emphasis. Yep. Right? And so was, that was, yep. You know, oh, and, I know and, that feeling. Yep. I, yeah, well, I mean, so, but I, but I do, I do that much less because I think readers aren't huge fans of loads of swear. No, they the really majority are. Of readers, yeah. mm-hmm. um, and the thing is like, I, I spent a lot of time around wrestling. And if anyone knows backstage life in wrestling, they swear so much. It's it's crazy. Like every second word, there's a language of swear words. And I apologize, my cat has made an appearance. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, it for me, when I started writing, I was really lucky. I knew a guy called Scott Levy who was actually Raven as a wrestler. And he was like, for goodness sake, do not take the swearing of the backstage life into this book. It doesn't belong. And so it was very difficult for me to learn to not write the swear words. But I eventually kind of like, once I'd done several editions of it, I was like, okay, I could do this without swearing. And it 
it was I can understand the difficulty of it and mm-hmm. I ended up really appreciating the fact that he took the time to suggest that. So we're going to go into a bit about your life now. What's the first thing you do when you want to de-stress from editing and writing? Um, well, I have, I like walking. I've got two dogs, um, so I enjoy that very much. Um, I'm, I've got quite into kind of nature photography. I'm interested in the kind of natural world. And oh, yeah. you know, anyone that reads, has read all of my books will, will see that, you know, there's a lot about kind of insects or plants or yeah, know, I had noticed that, seascapes. Yeah. Yeah, that kind of thing. So, you know, photography, I like cooking. Um, I have recently got quite into, talking about wrestling, I've got quite into deadlifting and powerlifting, <laughs> um, which I really love um, as the, the kind of physical challenge. I think I enjoy the being in competition with myself. Yeah, um, so, yeah I went yeah, through a period and- of being in competition with a friend of mine called Stevie Richards, who runs a Stevie Richards Fitness and he just, he had this way of challenging me. And I said to him, look, dude, I'm not going to get big muscles in my arm. It doesn't work. I said, I don't know if it's the disease or what. And for nine months straight, this poor guy worked so hard with me to try and get some muscle in my arms. And it never worked. Nothing. <laughs> but it was fun. I definitely, yeah, I've got a bit more definition and my traps are much more, much more kind of pronounced. And, you know, and I think I, I my my trainer and I, we set ourselves, well, I set myself a hundred K challenge to lift, yeah. um, which I've now done. And so we're kind of moving Yay. on to something else, but um, yeah, no, it's good. So, you know, I like, yeah, I like to do lots of different things. And it's good to de-stress after writing too, because sometimes people don't realize just how much brain time and effort goes in. Like it, it's like running a marathon sometimes I feel. So what hobbies would you say you enjoyed the most and what ones do you wish you had more time to explore if you had the free time hobbies you mean yeah Um, yeah I mean I think I would like to travel more I love to travel Um, I love going to different places I mean and obviously lockdown put paid to that really Um, but I would you know I mean if if time and circumstances and finances allowed, I would always be traveling, I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, I love to go to, to new places. I think that's the thing that if, if I could do anything would be to travel more. I mean, I could honestly see you buying a world cruise ticket and just riding while being on a cruise ship. I'm not sure cruise is my thing. I think what I would like most of all would be to go on like an epic road trip. I'd like to, I've done a couple of road trips with camper vans and the open road and America and New Zealand and things. Oh, those are what I would love would be to just, you know, not be the one that's driving because I hate (laughs) driving, but I can't drive. So I've got, I got you there. Um, because well I would and I would I would write as we were driving or yeah. I would write for same. a few hours in the morning and then enjoy where we were I think that would be my dream life although although I saw there was an amazing job um a little while ago that was doing the rounds on Twitter and it was a job for six months um on an island in the Maldives to look up to run their bookshop wow that that is I would have quite happily job. applied for that if I didn't have children <laughs> yeah no that's a dream job for sure to run yeah no I would have I never saw that I wish I had I oh god it's amazing yeah. I would have applied for that in an instant um but yeah no I, I I get where you're going with that so one of the things that um is assumed by readers at least the readers I've met 
is that we all like crafts. Um, so are you a crafter? And if so, what do you do in the crafting side? You know, I hate to disappoint everyone, but I'm not a crafter at all. I mean, I I like the idea of it. So, yeah. um, but what I lack is patience and I'm not um, skilled or gifted in that arena at all. So my 12 year old, she has got a sewing machine and a, an artist's dummy and she would kind of run up, um, you know, like a, a like she's got a mannequin and, and, and she would run up a dress or a skirt or something. Or yeah. she she's made stop motion animation um, that was really fantastic. She paints, she draws, she and and I do none of these things. I mean, I am constantly in awe of people yeah. who do craft. Um, you know, who can crochet or who can sew or knit or create anything but yeah unfortunately for me my kind of creative output is restricted to writing really yeah. I mean um, I, I laugh because the one thing that my grandmother was very convinced of was you will have ladylike um attributes that's the word she used attributes so because I was such a wild teenager with the dyslexia and the restlessness she would actually um sit and she would have me knitting if I was in the house and I was sitting down, I had to do something. So I was either knitting, I was oil painting, or I was cross-stitching. or There was always something that I had to do. And I didn't find out till much later was she was actually a professional knitter from the age of eight. And she was selling her woolly jumpers as a second income for her family. And I thought, holy no wonder she was trying to get me to knit because of the creativity. Yeah, you know, and well, the thing is, I did learn to knit when I was younger. So my mum and my my nana both taught me how yeah. to knit, and um, but I didn't really carry it on. I could knit a scarf or something, yeah, but it's not something that I do now. But what I can do, like I look back and I've still got some of them, is when I was growing up and I had. You know, like um, I used. Do you remember those? Well, you don't because I'm much older than you, but like um. Uh, you know, baby dolls and, you know, yep. my Cindy and Barbie and all of those dolls. Yep. Well, my nan, now my nana and her sister, they would hand make clothes for all of my dolls. And I was going through a suitcase recently and I found all of these, you know, skirts and coats <laughs> and jumpers and everything yep. that they'd made, like these amazing dresses that they'd made for my dolls. And I am so in awe of that. Yep. And I did actually, the same. Yep. Well, and what I was going to say was that recently my mum made me a patchwork uh, blanket for my bed and it's yeah. 81 uh, hand knitted squares. And yep. and I love it so much because all of her love has gone into that yeah. and her time, her effort, you know, and I know that I'll have that blanket with me forever mm -hmm. and it will always represent my mum to me. And, and that is a really special thing. And I think when you're younger, like you're a bit dismissive of hand knitted things. Like yep. you want stuff from, I don't know, like design. I was never really into designer stuff, but no, you, know, no, you want no. stuff from the shops or whatever. Yeah. But now like the, the cardigans that my mum knitted for my children when they were babies or, you yep. know, she'll knit me a pair of gloves or a hat. And I love it because, you know, it's something, A, it's something that I can't do, but B, it's something that represents her love. 
Yeah. And I think that's like super important because what I did um, during lockdown, because I couldn't write and I couldn't read, I actually made blankets for kids in care. Oh, right. My mum did that. Well, my mum did something similar. Yeah. Yeah. And so I made up these, these quilts only to have the local area turn them down. So I was like, okay, what am I going to do with them? And then I found this agency in America who were pleading out for something to give these kids in lockdown in in that. So I, uh, I made up about four or five and I stuck them in a box. I nearly died of the shipping cost. (laughs) And I sent them out and I, I put their names on it. I had even knitted the letters of their names and then I'd sewn them on. And it was like, I couldn't imagine being in care and then being in lockdown. So I thought, well, at least that's something that they can hold on to and say, well, somebody must love me enough to have made this for me. At least I hope that's what they got from it. Um, Mm. But that was like the first sort of real time I picked up crafts since my my Nana passed. Mm. And I must admit, it was was good. And And I do this for all my family is I actually make Christmas presents and birthday presents. Mm. So I'll make them a cushion or a pillowcase. I'll embroider the pillowcase with something and I'll maybe do a quilt. And now that I've got a sewing machine, I probably will actually quilt more, but everything I make for them is, is got a little bit of me in it because that sort of fight with sepsis kind of made me appreciate that almost Mm. like I want to leave this little trace of me everywhere. Um, so yeah, that, I ended up becoming a crafter, even though I wasn't when I started. I was very much like you and wrote all the time. So myself, I've got long-term illness that makes me slow down and appreciate the day. What makes you slow down, smell the roses, and enjoy the day? I think, you know, I'm pretty bad at doing that. <laughs> um, but so I you, think you didn't it's... get COVID teaching then <laughs> about blowing down I did well I did I did slow down and I think I did because we were forced to slow down and I think what it did was yeah. made me appreciate um my children actually it made mm-hmm. me you know I spent a lot more time with them we spent more time together as a family than we otherwise would have done um you know and so we cooked together we had these kind of theme nights that we created so every Wednesday night certainly at the start of lockdown we would have I don't know like a Mexican food night or uh, Italian food or Chinese and then we would all cook to that theme and we would have these like lovely theme nights and that was really like special and you know at the start of the pandemic and certainly those beautiful few weeks when it felt like you thought you were only going to be in lockdown for a few weeks yeah um, and we spent a lot of time in the garden kind of playing badminton and hanging out and just playing games and being with each other. Um, And so I think it's just realising that because, you know, with the kids, you know, it seems like five minutes ago that they were babies and now they are, you know, teens and, or, or, you know, one's a teen and one's almost a teen. And you just think time passes so quickly. It does. Um, And to stop wishing time away and mm-hmm. to stop wishing for other things, but to actually appreciate what it is that you do have. Um, yeah. You know, and like you see, that, you know, this year has been an eye-opener, hasn't it? When you see, mm-hmm. you know, 
something like the Russian invasion of Ukraine and you realise, yeah. you know, how lucky you are to have a roof over your head and somewhere safe to sleep at night. And, you know, and to not feel as if you're under those... threat. Like, yeah, you know, I couldn't feel, imagine, you know, f- yeah. frightened all the time. And so, you know, I think I do, although I find it hard to slow down, I definitely appreciate the things in my life. So where's your favourite place to curl up during the day or at night? Is it your garden or do you have a special cafe you go to or a reader's nook? I think certainly in the the summer, Mm. um, I love sitting in the garden. So we have quite a nice sized garden. It's completely enclosed by shrubs and trees. Um, And so the garden furniture is nice and comfortable and we've got a big sunshade and I love to sit there with a nice cold drink um, and to just sit there and read. Um, In the colder weather, um, this that I'm in now, my writing shed, which was actually literally a shed with a lawnmower and, (laughs) you know, a shovel and a trowel and then it has been insulated and it's got a bed in it and a chair and it's got a heater and, you know, I remember being in here under a blanket, the heater was on and it was snowing outside and I was just reading and it was absolutely perfect. Yeah, so, I mean, I um, love that. Yeah, those two places. Um, when, I, when I was in Shetland, I always had this favourite place of sitting by the fire, um, curled up in the sofa with a blanket over me and I would read there. And then when I moved in with Ian, the bath became my my sanctuary. (laughs) (laughs) So like four hours later, he'd be chopping the door going, are you getting out anytime soon? Yeah. I do always, you know, you you were saying about reading your at the end of the day as well I do always without fail read at the end of the day when I get into bed and I always read a few pages and I'm at, no matter how tired I am and funnily I enough according to all the studies they've done it's actually very good for your sleep they say because oh, okay. it actually slows your brain waves down and actually allows you to have a deeper more restful sleep which I oh, thought was very interesting yeah I, I just did it because I, I was trying to <laughs> work on my dyslexia. So now we're at the word game part, which is the fun part. Um, so I will say words and you say what the first thing that comes into your head. The first thing or the first book? You could have either. If you could I didn't type. know if it was I didn't know if the word game was kind of books related to the word or just single words related <laughs> to the word. I try and do a theme um I don't usually mean to do a theme, but it kind of happens that way. So the first word is going to be kittens. So either a book well, or a word. I'm, I'm easy. Okay, well, kittens <laughs> makes me think of... I, I was thinking along um, sort of books lines. So I, I was thinking that kittens makes me think of old Possum's Book of Practical Cats. Yes. I, T.S. Eliot. Yep. Dogs. So if we do, okay. So if we do, I mean, I can do either. But if we can do, if we do uh, books, let's do books because um, everyone yeah, else is like, freaks podcast. out about this part, and I end up <laughs> just doing single word responses because I had actually got one author who came on, and she actually spent like a whole four days going through her bookcases to tie the words to her books because everyone knows <laughs> I send the words out so that there's not a freak out. And I admired that so much that she'd spent that four days like finding the book. So yeah, I didn't know. I didn't do that, but I did. Um, I did it. I did it 
um, with books rather than words because if just random words I would I am so random like I would <laughs> nothing I would say would make any sense but so I sat there with the words and I did I, I made myself do it really quickly um, yeah just the first word the first book that came into my head so you might see a bit of a theme uh, yeah well it'll be good it'll be good fun so dogs 101 Dalmatians I thought that too barking so so yeah so so it's two it's two basically books that are essentially written for children I think yeah so far <laughs> uh barking we were on Alice in Wonderland because all I could think of was barking mad that's actually a good one I never thought of that chalk clouds a cloud atlas David Mitchell book I like that waves lapping well, I thought your book because, actually when I wrote that. Time. Well, I didn't actually. I couldn't actually think of um, a book. So the first thing that popped into my head, genuinely, that is one of my favourite poems, um, and it's called Sea Fever. Do you know oh. it by John Maysfield? Yeah. And it starts, "I must go down to the sea again, to the lonely sea and sky, and all I ask is a tall ship and a star to steer her by." And I love it so much. There's such a beautiful rhythm to that that is like the, the, the lapping of the waves, and that's the first thing that popped into my head. It's a good one. Okay, we've got Heartbeat. Twilight, because of the song by Christina Perry. Do you know I know, I, mean? I, I thought the same yeah, thing. About, oh, a thousand God. years. Yeah, I, so I honestly did. I thought the exact same thing. So I, so I was singing that. <laughs> rain? Oh, Rain. I was thinking of, what I tried to think here was um, books that have passages about, good passages about Rain. Um, and the first one I thought of was Catcher in the Rye. Um, That's and I really don't know why, one. I don't, yeah, I don't even think that there's tons about it, but there, there's a scene when he, he's, he gets soaked, I think. Um, yeah. And that was all that I could think of. That That is actually what went through my head when I, when I wrote it down. I was like, oh, I wonder if she'll get that one. Thunder is your last one. Well, Thunder, and I don't know if this is fair or not. I don't want to seem kind of arrogant by choosing my own work. But um, in When I Was Ten, the opening scene is basically a young girl that gets struck by lightning. There's I a like thunderstorm. that. Yeah, I think yeah, that's an and awesome so, choice. And that was, so I tried to, I did it really quickly. Like it's a proper kind of word association. So, and that was yeah. what I came up with. So apologies for uh, blowing my own trumpet. Oh no, I love it. I love it because like I did, um, I did it once with somebody else and I, for some reason had a dance theme and I swear it was because Marie was bugging me that day. And I couldn't think of anything else like in my own head of books that had nothing to do with them. And I was just like, Oh, well. so yeah, I've, I, I, you know, blowing your own trumpets fine with me. And and you've got, <laughs> you you know, you're amazing enough that you can do it. So oh, stop. well, before we leave, is there any books that you want to tell the readers about um, other than in the dark that they can look forward to? Or is there any news that you'd like to share? Um, no, I just thought I'm working on my sixth book. Um, I'm quite superstitious when I talk about my writing. And the reason for that is not because I'm precious about the idea so much, but I find that if I talk too much about my work in progress, I talk it out of my head, if that makes yeah, sense. I've done um, that. And yeah. I keep a lot inside. So, um, but what I can say is that it does feature, um, Saul and Blue again, who Yay. readers have responded to so strongly. Um, and 
Um, yeah, so I'm very much enjoying them. And, you know, as is, as is with all my books, there is, um, a thread that runs through it. So you have the detective thread, you have the victim, um, the victims, and then you have the, the perpetrators of the crime. So um, I'm very much enjoying writing it. Well, that's the show, unfortunately, guys. I would love to have Fiona on again when she releases her next one, because I will be first in line to buy one. So it's been a lot of fun. And next week, we're going to be actually diving into Fiona's books. And that will be just me, but I will be talking about the books in greater detail. So thank you for coming on, Fiona. It's been amazing. Thank you so much for having me.